you say, I am legally blind, people hire me for what I can imagine, not for what everyone else can see. This uh, disability is actually my superpower. When you view the world differently, it helps make you unique and it gives you something to contribute that uh, you know, makes your opinion more valuable ways. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another terrific episode of Lead the Team. Got a great one in store for you today with Mike Switek who is Chief Strategy and Planning Officer over at Avianca, a Latin American airline group based out of Colombia. Now, they have more than 100 years of service, and they're one of the most experienced carriers in the region. Now, back to Mike. He's held roles at eight different airlines. That's right, eight different airlines, including airlines you know, like United Airlines, Qatar Airlines, Indigo, and Air New Zealand. I wish I knew Air New Zealand because I would love to take that trip. <laughs> Mike has been legally blind since birth and serves as chairman of the International Air Transport Association's Working Group on Accessibility. He's a graduate of Iona University with an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Mike, welcome to Lead the Team, sir. Thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here with you today and have the opportunity to talk about many subjects, including accessibility. Accessibility and you know, we're not going to stop there, but yes, we're going to hit that. Let's hit that now. Now you say, I am legally blind. People hire me for what I can imagine, not for what everyone else can see. What exactly do you mean by that? So being born legally blind, let me describe my vision when I was born. Um, I have some vision, but it's like the world looks like a puzzle to me of a thousand pieces. Hmm. When I was five years old, I could probably see two or three of those thousand pieces at a time where you can see all of them. So very severe tunnel vision, no peripheral vision. And when it starts to get dark, I go totally blind. So total hmm. night blindness. Um, so that's how I could see when I was about five years old. Today, those thousand pieces, maybe I can see one of them. Um, lightning flashes across my eyes. It gets cloudy. I can read a little bit on a screen. I can read my iPhone. Mostly I listen to it though. And I've got some yeah. great tips for people how to use technology to be productive by almost pretending you're blind. But this uh, disability is actually my superpowers because it's forced me to do a lot of things like create a great skill for memorization. I learn people's by their voice, not their face. But it by no means has it been, you know, something that uh, has hindered me. And in fact, in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, I think it's uh, David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Talks, Love there's that. There's an economist who says there's a dire desirability of difficulty. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And he even points to in Silicon Valley, many of the founders have some different way to view the world. So when you view the world differently, it helps make you unique and it gives you something to contribute that uh, you know makes your opinion more valuable in ways. So hmm. you know, it, it is something I've dealt with, a lot of stories, good and bad, happy to delve into it more. But yeah, I am a person with disabilities 
and uh, I use a mobility cane and we'll get to more of that later. I'm guessing. Well, let's, yeah, let's just dive, dive into this. Cause, cause it's so fascinating uh, because you've risen to the top, right? You've, you've worked across so many different airlines. And so I'm just saying, I want to want the listeners to think about this for a second. So lots of different airports, lots of different airplanes, and now we're talking eight different airlines. Um, and so you're managing all this, you're leading teams globally, not in the same office necessarily. Uh, and I mean, legally blind, right? I mean, it's, you're not in the same office every day. You know, you're moving around. You're, you are tackling all of this in ways that I think a lot of people that have perfect vision would struggle to manage it. What about having this uh, from an early age? How has it super, I'll say super energized you to tackle? I mean, you, you could have done a place where you'd be in the same office every day managing a team. And now, you, I mean, <laughs> you're in a world of complexity. How has this uh, driven you? Ben, I listen to your podcast every week or every episode that comes out. So I know some Thank of the you. Thank you. <laughs> I know some of the questions you ask, you know, mm -hmm. twists and turns in your career, first yep. jobs. So it's, you know, it really started my first job as a newspaper boy in, in Buffalo, New York. Um, you know, not being able to see very well. You know, it right from the start made me become a strategic planner, which is my role today, because wow. I had I had better eyesight when it was light out. I get home from school at three and I had to have those papers, you know, in the depth of winter delivered by four when it got dark. Otherwise, I was really lost. So it made me create a plan. I had to have a plan A and B and C. I had to know what was my strategy for getting the papers out there really fast. So right from the start, this sort of helped me develop skills and then also an attitude. The real twist in my career came. So my career has kind of been in two pieces. There was the piece where I was able to hide this blindness, not very easily. Um, people thought I was always clumsy or even people would rudely say, are you stupid? You know, what do you mean you, oh. you, know, you, you can't see this or that? No, but it was, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, you know, different era. Um, but I would get through that, but I was more of a back scenes guy. I do the numbers. I would memorize the numbers again. Hmm. I memorize everything. When I was 10 years old, I knew every step in my school. I knew where every door was. I knew where every desk was. Now my wife still jokes that when she gets mad at me, she rearranges the furniture in our house. Um, <laughs> so that would happen in school and I would trip on a desk or something and people would say, what's wrong with you? But I really had to have this impeccable skill of memorization. That's how I see the world mm. is I create my own image of it. Now, fast forward a bit, my eyesight gets a little bit worse every year. Um, I'm in India on a business trip. There's this tremendous storm and I was really lost. So I said, this is now starting to get dangerous. I went to New, New Zealand Blind Association and said, can you help me learn how to navigate cities using a white mobility cane? They, they trained me. And that mobility cane was really the twist in my career that allowed me to very quickly people recognize there's something different with Mike. Um, why do you use that cane? I'll explain. And they said, that's cool. And all of a sudden, what was this disability became a superpower because mm. think of some of the words we use in business today. We tell young people, try to be empathetic. 
Mm. I'm clearly empathetic because I need people's help every day. You know, I need help getting to the toilet in the office I work with, right? I need help boarding an airplane. So when you become a person who asks for help, I think you recognize others who need help as well. Think mm. about the words of genuine and authenticity. Mm. You know, how easy it, you know, again, it, it's, it's a superpower. I don't dread it for a minute. Just think how easy it is for me to be authentic. You know, people say you're different. Um, I have been able to get close time with CEOs that other people could never get. Because when I walk down a hallway with you, I, I ask if I can please put my left hand on your right shoulder. And I'm really close to you. And I have these intimate discussions with people that others would never imagine. So wow. again, it, it's, it's just a different world. Um, and when you say, yeah, I don't get hired for what everybody can see. I get hired you know, for what I can envision. I just have a different way of viewing the world. I mean, I just have uh, an ability to connect dots that other people are, I guess, trying to connect in a different way. So I've really been able to strive and thrive almost because of this disability, not in spite of it. Well, I really feel like we're not going to, we're not going to stop the interview now, but we probably could because you pretty much just motivated and inspired. And now we're all ready to go tackle, tackle the biggest challenges. Uh, so, but I, I want to rewind this white mobility cane describe that for the for the listeners who may not be familiar with with what that is yeah mobility canes about in my case i guess five feet long you know it okay. unfolds very quickly so i can kind of keep it in my pocket okay. or put it on the floor when i'm at a dinner table um it does have a ball on the bottom so it can smoothly roll over surfaces so i swing okay. it left and right i use it as kind of my guide to say hey there's a wall there's a curb Right. I'm at the corner of the street um, and uh, it does have red on the bottom, which is a marking that says it is internationally recognized as a mobility cane. OK, you know, I do have some funny slash sad stories. You know, people have come up to me and said, where's your other ski pole? They've said, are you going mountain oh. hiking later today? And uh, no, but I, I use it as an opportunity to spread the awareness. And as part of my role at IATA, one of the big challenges for persons with all disabilities and I have visual, there's auditory disabilities, there's cognitive, there's mobility, there's other. It's really about awareness, right? Once people know I have this, they're super helpful, more helpful. And in fact, you know, people are shocked when I say New York City's the best city in the world for me to be in because people are the most open there. They've seen everything and they're not surprised and, mm -hmm. and they help me. And what I found, Ben, over the course of time, I've always had this philosophy, one out of 10 people won't like me, no matter what I try to do. Um, and, you know, maybe one out of 100 people is really not a nice person. I find those people, but I find 50 people out of 100 who are fantastic. I've had people walk me 20 blocks in Manhattan to say, let me help you get to that meeting. I've had people walk to my gate with me, you know, in an airport. I had the investor relations person for Wynn Casinos, because Steve Wynn has the same eye disease. She took me by the hand in Hong Kong once and said, let me help you to your gate. So, you know, it's, it's like the Chinese proverb, you know, oh, well, you know, let's see what happens in the future. What looks unlucky today might be your greatest luck in your life. What looks like your best positive luck might turn into your unluckiest moment as your as your life unfolds over 60, 80, 100 years.
Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So many powerful things that you just said. A couple of things that really ring out to me is the more in life, like the, like the narrative that you've shared, the more in life that you've owned your disability in that way, the more you've, I mean, connected with people, the more it's like you said, you actually use the word superpower. Yeah. I feel like leaders spend so much time uh, hiding maybe their, their vulnerabilities that they don't build a good team around them. They build that, a bunch that's of people. Absolutely right. you know. I, I can't hide this, right? So it's in the open. I can't hide <laughs> You're it. out there with it. You've got the cane. You're coming yeah. through. Uh, here I am. And uh, yeah. I I love to, I love the visual of you putting your hand on someone's shoulder going yeah. down the hallway as a leader and yeah. having that conversation. Yeah. And and that can be with the janitor in the building or the CEO, right? It's it's with everybody. I'm always finding someone to help me and someone to talk to and and learn things that others aren't learning. And and it is, it, it's it's a gift. Now, Ben, I, I have to touch upon the point there that, uh, you know, we, we need different skills as we go through the journey of our career, right? For me, there's different skills for the, the workers, and I'm talking mostly white collar knowledge workers in this vein, but, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. workers need to be good at creativity, good at prioritizing, analyzing, communicating, executing. You know, managers need to be good at delegating and organizing. You know, leaders, it comes down to three things for me. And I do consider myself a leader today, but it's really about what you said, motivating the team. You know, then it's about empowering the team, giving them something meaningful to do. And then it's about coaching them. And mm-hmm. we all love Warren Buffett, right? Warren Buffett has this great belief that, you know, good employees, happy employees are ones that care about what they do. They have something important to do and mm-hmm. they're good at doing it. They want to be and belong where they're at and they're optimistic. And again, leaders have to really push that and ask your employees and help them be good at what they do and help them be optimistic about the future of their Mm-hmm. individual role, their team, their company, their industry. So again, I'm lucky to have made this full journey through worker to manager to leader. And it's a fantastic journey. Um, you know, I wouldn't trade this in for the world to have been able to touch so many elements of uh, when you, going through this, you know, going through your learning journey, you know, my, where did you, where does your motivation and inspiration mm-hmm. come from? It sounds like you, you're as a leader, you're thinking about motivating others. Okay. Yeah. And you certainly have a, I would say an inspiring and motivational story. Uh, but where in the darkest of times do you go? Well, I don't know if I'm proud of this answer, but I'll be honest with you. Cause again, honesty is important. I think my biggest motivation as a young person was fear of failure. And I know a lot of people in business that this was their motivation. They just never wanted to let down their family, their friends, their coworkers, their peers. I played sports as a kid. You'll, you'll be shocked to hear, but I was able to, you know, pitch a baseball with tunnel vision. I was also able to snap a ball to the quarterback as a center in football. So I just never wanted to let anybody down. 
And that's still what drives me. So it's a little bit of motivation by fear. I always wanted to deliver on what I believed my promise was to my team. And wow. That motivates me. Pitching a baseball? Yeah. So how in the world? I mean, well, remember, Ben, I, I told you when I was 10, I could see about three pieces of a thousand piece puzzle. Yes. So if the catcher could put like orange in their glove, I could spot that orange from 60 feet away. That's all I saw, though, was the orange in the glove. I didn't see where the batter was standing. I didn't see, you know, anything behind them. But the the, the, <laughs> wow. the art of, you know, pitching, you know, think of uh, Greg Maddox, one of the best control pitchers ever in baseball. Uh, is yep. you Your arm naturally throws the ball to what you're looking at. That's the secret. What's tough for most people is they get – you know, other things come into their field of vision. Yes. That, Interesting. Well, the, uh, baseball, I yeah. started golfing two years ago. And my wife will tell you my favorite story about golfing. We went to the driver's range. I said, so I think there's probably some markers out there for 125 yards, 150, 100. She goes, yeah, they're out there. I said, well, you know, can you line me up so where, you know, I'm lined up to try to hit towards them? She goes, sure. I said, Debbie, I'm going to hit the 150 marker in three tries. She said, you're out of your mind, right? But it's like Napoleon with his artillery. I said, point me in the right direction. The first one, she said, it went off to the right and it was about 10 yards too far. Okay, move me a little bit to the left. The next one was a little bit to the left and five yards too short. The third one, bingo. I heard the, the ball hit the metal thing and go ding. And she's like, unbelievable but it's muscle memory and it's just pointing me in the right direction wow. so yeah these are the crazy you, things you never think about that and you strive me as a leader you're just looking for a new challenge all the time all the time no that's is that why, why you have eight is that why you work for eight different airlines a ab absolutely <laughs> um well, he, well here's something for young people right you know what what would i recommend some things to young people um get used to rejection as early as possible in your life you only need one job, one school, one partner at a time. So get used to rejection. You know, go out there, be proactive, ask people, talk to people, say, hi, hey, my name is Mike. You know, I'm from Buffalo. I'm blind. You know, people at my fraternity at school still laugh at me because they said, you came up to all of us and introduced yourself. I wasn't courageous enough to do that. And yeah, as a result yeah. of that, I a lot of relationships I never would have had. Was it scary? Absolutely. So the next one is, you know, get used to rejection and then try to increase your level of being a risk taker. If you're on a scale of one to 10 and you're a three, try to become a three and a half, right? Don't go jump out of the plane immediately, but try to get to the second floor of the building if you're afraid of fights mm. and push yourself to take some risk. So I somewhere along the way, thankfully to an older brother, right who said you're going to play baseball you're going to play football you're going to come skiing with me um you know he pushed me to do everything and i was like i can't see what's going on this seems insane he said i'll 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 watch you back don't worry about it mm -hmm. so with a brother who pushed me i became a risk taker and yeah i've i've been an exchange student going to another country not knowing the language 
And what I really like in business, I've worked at eight airlines. I find the ones that are in some sort of crisis, either a major transformation, a couple then a major growth phase. And I have this theory, Ben, that I share with young people. If you think about your life, you know, when do you want to, you know, you start working about 20, you're going to work to your 60 or 65, 40, 45 years, divide that by about three years, and you're going to write about 15 chapters in your career. I call it a thousand day cycle, which is a little less than three years. Mm -hmm. So try to get yourself in a situation that's a little different every thousand days. And you'll become so unique. You'll become expert in areas, um, but not for everybody. I mean, people who work at the same job for 25 years, perfectly fine. They have different motivations. But for really building a career, make yourself unique and push yourself to do something different every thousand days. I think it's fair to the employer. You know, you talk a lot about employee retention, but I think it's fair because it takes, you know, 100 days to ramp up. Then you can do your job for 800 days successfully. Then you ramp down for 100 days. Hmm. And yeah, I think it's, it's almost like playing the whole life cycle entry, escalate, you know, hitting your peak and then starting to wind down. But I think looking at it on a th as a thousand day cycle, because too many people think, think of it as a yearly cycle. And I tend to do yeah. that too. Yeah. But taking a longer term view, but not too long, uh, allows you to make an impact. And it sounds like you've done that, you know, across the airlines uh, of your working accomplishments when you retire one day which i suspect will be a long time i might retire <laughs> are you what what do you want to look back and you think you'll be most proud of wow so i'm i am really proud of my career in the airline industry you know i've done like i said about 12 chapters you know i would say i've had about six or seven wins in those chapters you know three pushes and three losses and in business, especially the airline industry, I think that's a pretty good record. But, you know, I've been involved in some massive failures. I've been involved in some massive turnarounds. I believe I'm in one of those right now at Avianca, which is, by the way, I've doubled up and I'm doing 2,000-day cycles at Avianca um, because <laughs> the job I'm doing today is just so different. I'm, I'm the co-leader of our culture transformation you know, I'm co-leader of our diversity, equity, and inclusion program. Um, you know, things I never would imagine. You know, these are things more human resources related. What What is a strategy and planning person doing involved in those? But again, it's that authenticity I can bring to it, the stories. So you're I living can... two cycles in the same company, but different sort of, roles. Sort of, sort of, yeah, what, so you mentioned, roles. you kind of dangled out a carrot there that I got to ask you about, mm -hmm. Mike. You said, you know, you've got a, massive failures and successes. Yeah. What's what's your favorite failure to share? So again, great question because failures are good, right? Um, you know, you learn a lot. So when I was at Air New Zealand, we bought a hundred percent equity of an airline called Anset Australia. Um, that airline was liquidated twelve months later, right? The the market um, came into an oversupply situation. That airline didn't have the right cost or revenue base, and it failed. But what did I learn from that is, boy, your cost base is super important. So you better mm -hmm. get that right. I learned that you better go head, you know, head up into these acquisitions because most of them don't work out. I learned that merging the cultures of a New Zealand company and Australian company, never take that for granted. And in uh, fact, in Avianca, 
right? Changing. So we, we have in place, I think, great people, great strategy, great culture. But we sat around the table. The strategy literally took us a weekend to do. It's not that hard, right? What's hard to do is change the culture to get 10,000 people all polling in the same direction. So that lesson I learned from the Air New Zealand ANSAT failure, that culture is super critical. And that's why I've always been, you know, a, a lover of culture. Even before that, I was lucky, Ben, one of the successes in my career, much more junior. I was a manager at Continental Airlines in 94, 95, when they did their famous worst to first epic. Mm-hmm. And 25 years later, I still remember the culture of that company. There were four things that Gordon Bethune, the CEO, you know, instituted. It was fly to win, make reality or make reliability a reality, uh, fund the future, and working together. And those four pillars, mm-hmm. they roll mm-hmm. off my tongue, you know, 25, 30 years later. Say, that's that's pretty culture, easy for you to recall. Right? <laughs> that's culture. When, when I was at another airline and they said, look, we've got 30 objectives. I said, I can't fit that on one hand. There's no way I'm going to remember 30 objectives 20 years from now. Can we please get it down to five? Um, they didn't agree. We never went that way. And I won't say what company it was, but it, it didn't help. Um, but no, I, I love culture. You know, I love strategy and planning. I love accessibility. You know, that'll be, you know, back to your question in my retirement I have the opportunity to influence the lives of over a billion people by making travel more accessible. Um, you know, that's far more a lofty goal than trying to create a $10 billion market cap company um, and touching those lives through small improvements, right? The motto I use for accessibility is please everybody, low cost, high impact, right? Mm-hmm. We need to do common sense things, universal design, you know, awareness, openness on the part of persons with disabilities. And I don't think it's that hard to solve. Someone else I work with thinks we'll have accessibility and travel solved in 10 years. Technology is a big, you know, player in this, but also just common sense, right? And that's why I I enjoy, and thank you very much for this opportunity to spread this message that, you know, don't take a blind person for granted. You know, I, I hopefully am persuading you that, oh my God, I wish I had a disability in some sense. And someday you may, because in the well, com- community of disability, so you're only abled until you're disabled. True, true. And on a, on a, there's a level too of everyone, ha- we all have our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, right? They may not be a quote disability in, 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 as classified that way, but a lot of times we try to be good at everything and try to skirt by the things that we don't do well versus building our teams, versus acknowledging it, versus speaking into it. And I mean, you're giving us the playbook. You know, yeah, right now. I, 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 I have to jump in and say as well there, absolutely, right? And self-awareness is a really important part of having a great career is you know what you're good and you're bad at. And my team is shocked because we talk about five critical attitudes to have in work, being curious, being proactive, being tenacious, being adaptable, and what I call being a good, you know, a good teammate. And the team is shocked when I say on a scale of one to 10, I'm terrible at adaptability. And they're like, what do you mean? Aren't you good at everything? I'm like, no, I'm terrible, right? I don't like to change course. I'm a planner. I want to keep to the plan. But I've learned over time, I need to be adaptable. I'm still not great at it. But I allow other people around me who are better at being adaptable, do the adaptability part for me. 
the curiosity wow. part I love, right? Put me in a brainstorming se session and I'll have a hundred ideas for you. Well, in let's, so let's talk brainstorming. I know that's part of your role. And that's also one of your superpowers that we've talked about before we started rolling here. Brainstorming seems like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I get brainstorming, but I think most, most people are not as good at it and they don't really enjoy it because the meeting becomes about, I'm the executive, here are my ideas. What do y'all think versus a more of a, a harnessing the, the groups, you know, collective insight. What is, uh, I'll say, well, ask, what are some insights you have on brainstorming and, and what's maybe some advice that leaders can put to use? So the first insight is clearly, I believe that everybody's creative, right? But creativity requires the right environment, just like anything mm -hmm. else. So I think we're all creative, but you have to have the right person leading the session, et cetera. You know, go Google brainstorming. You'll find 15 different methods on how to do it. You know, find one that you're comfortable with. I really learned this from, and I have to give a shout out. It was the CEO of Air New Zealand, a gentleman by the name of Rob Fife, who was a tremendous creative thinker. And the way we did strategy at Air New Zealand, and in fact, this was after I left the company and I was brought in as a freelance consultant, he put 30 people in a room that just had the right attitude. They were open, they were curious, right? And we'd sit around and literally come up with what they tell you to do in brainstorming. Come up with a stupid idea, come up with a stupid hypothesis and see what other people can you know, cr create from that. Mm -hmm. So a, a great example, you know, we'd break into teams of five or six and just say, okay, you know, nobody likes flying long call in economy class because there's not a lot of space. Correct. Why why can't you lie flat in an economy seat? And while you're speaking my language, Mike. Why six four? That's impossible, right? How can you <laughs> and, I, and then you know a, an older guy like me goes, Well, hey, wait a second. You know, I flew to Europe in the 80s. The load factors, you know, meaning the seat occupancy wasn't that high. And back in the 80s, you'd often fly, you know, me and a friend would buy two seats to London. The middle seat would be empty. And then I would lie on the floor and the other person would lie across the three seats. So we were lying flat in economy. Now it needed, you know, only two thirds of the planes to be full. And since then, you know, the FAA has said, no, you can't lie on a floor because but then I'm like, well, why can't you put a seatbelt on the floor? Why can't you strap in if it's a safety issue? Maybe, maybe you can, right? Maybe people can sleep in the overhead bins. I don't know. But from that stupid <laughs> statement, you know, we said, well, maybe people can. And Air New Zealand proprietarily developed something called the Sky Couch, which is three economy seats that there's an ottoman underneath it that pushes up. And two people can buy three seats and lie across those three seats in economy. It's not nearly as expensive as a business class lie flat seat. Um, and, 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 and that's how, you know, creativity happens. That, is you so so that was an idea that came out of your session. Yeah, that was an idea that came out of it. Air New Zealand since licensed that product to other airlines. They have it on their long haul fleet. Um, you know, the success of it. You know, not perfect, but but it's it's led to some. Well, it, well, here's another funny thing that leads from when you're a company that actually does some creative brainstorming. Your employees love it because you become more innovative, and your customers love it because you become more innovative. Everybody wants to be associated with an innovative company, 
not with a stale old company that doesn't try or do anything different. So you get these side benefits. Not only did they create a cool product that they were able to sell to other people, but they also created an atmosphere in the company where people said, I want to work here, right? My engagement has just gone up by 20 points because I'm so proud of what we're doing and others want to come work at there. And your employees say, yeah, I think that this is a company that's forward looking, not backwards looking. So you're getting kind of great two. problems to solve. What a great way to engage people versus, I mean, yes, it's nice to have a company picnic or pizza party or bowling, <laughs> but hey, here's a great problem. We actually want to kick some ideas around a big problem, which is it is so uncomfortable to take long haul flights in economy. And uh, let's, and I love how you walked us through that and the final solution that you came up with. I mean, it's, that's a problem that I've had. So I think a lot of listeners probably have had. How tall are you, Ben? I'm 6'4". Oh, yeah. No, you have a problem. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's It'd be tough. I've never flown. I mean, I want to get to New Zealand. I want to get to Australia. I have not done that quite yet. But, man, this, so, Mike, we don't have a lot of time left. Uh, a couple things I want to make sure we hit. Number one is using technology. Uh, this is something that you have a perspective on. Right. Yeah. So in, in, in the, you know, blind, low vision world, Mm -hmm. there's something called a screen reader that can literally read everything that's on your screen. Um, on the, on the Apple phone, um, you can turn on voice control or voice Mm -hmm. over, which allows you, you know, the, the accessibility tools on Apple are pretty cool. Um, you know, every blind person's a little different, you know, so I, I attend a, like a bi-monthly meeting with about 20 other people. We all have our little likes and dislikes, but I would just recommend to your listeners, you know, find somebody who's low vision, watch how they work with a computer, watch how they interact with their phone. Mm -hmm. And again, you may walk away saying, oh my God. So just little quick tips, right? Little habits that I create, you know, every Sunday, I just ask Siri, I say, Siri, what are my meetings coming up this week? And it rattles off 30 meetings, right? And then I say, give me the detail on meeting. Who's it with? You know, this this chat GPT having communications with technology. Yes. Um, it it's real. And and we're getting super close to to where you can, if you choose, you know, have this chat with your device where it's smart enough through artificial intelligence to know what you're doing. So, you know, I mm-hmm. You know, what do they tell you? Never turn your phone on in the middle of the night. No, don't look at bright light. I just turn over in the middle of the night and say, hey, Siri, do I have any new WhatsApp messages? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got three new messages. It reads them to me. I never have to open my eyes. And then I can respond and say, you know, respond back with this. If you connect with me on LinkedIn, and I'm always happy to connect with new people on LinkedIn, usually I'll put at the bottom of my first message, by the way, I use voice to text to create my messages. Yes. You know, yep. please excuse any typos or spelling errors. And you know how fast I can do a message on LinkedIn? 10 times faster than somebody typing. It's by verbally <laughs> by verbal verbally communicating it into LinkedIn Messenger. Yeah, just di- dictating just dictating into the app. How, how are you so you say you're in a meeting, how are you taking notes? What are you using? Uh, that's 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 a, that's an interesting one because uh I like to take notes. If I scribble notes, the problem is I can't read them later. I literally, I can write and then I can't see them. And mm-hmm. my handwriting is bad, so even my wife can't decipher it. So I, I just politely say in the beginning of the meeting, look, 
I use my smartphone to take notes. So occasionally I'm going to kind of duck my head down by the table and type to my phone. Okay. And just dictate important things. So please okay. don't take that as a distraction that I'm doing something different. I, I just want people in the in the group to be aware that, that that's how I take my notes is by dictating onto a, a smartphone notepad. Do you are you dictating them in your smartphone into the Apple Notes? I, I just use the Apple Notes. Yeah. Very, Apple very notes. simple. Okay. I've got like, you know, a thousand notes on my Apple Notepad. I go through it. Okay. It's one of on, on aircraft, I'll go through and delete the old ones, et cetera. Okay. But I take notes on lots of things and all by voice dictation. And then also I you can very quickly just hit select all on the note and and have Apple read it back to you. Okay, that's all I was going to ask. So you're dictating them in the meeting into 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 your Apple phone, into Apple Notes, and then you're having Siri read them back to you, and you're deleting them or filing yeah. them based upon that. Yeah, just say Siri, find find my notes for the podcast with Ben Fanning, right? Okay, and it'll find that out of a thousand notes. You know, I've dictated some things a month ago, and I'll say read it back to me, and it'll read it back to me. And, you know, someday I'll just say, well, you can delete that note now, right? Okay. It, it requires, again, I, I'm very lucky I've made this skill of memorization and, and just skill of imagining things in front of me, right? I can imagine those thousand notes in front of me. I'm, I've become very good at car compartmentalizing things, right? So I, I can immediately think, okay, this is my career or my personal life. This is about this topic or that topic. Um, so, you know, the more you think about it, the more custom you get to it and I love it. you strengthen your brain to become a regular routine for you. Well, Mike, we're almost out of time here and I haven't even gotten through, a th I think I maybe got through a third of my questions for you today. You we're can always invite me back. <laughs> well, so, so with that in mind, uh, wrapping this up, uh, what's your parting thought for our listeners today? Parting thought. I'll repeat what I said earlier, right? Get comfortable with being rejected, right? Become a little more of a risk taker. Think of your career in that soundbite of a thousand days, because I agree with you, Ben, a year is too short. You know, five, 10 years feels too long. Some exceptions, right? I don't think a CEO should change their job every thousand days, but I think a chief strategy and planning officer in a thousand days, I've either accomplished what I needed to accomplish or I'm probably never going to accomplish it. So I'm like, I should be either pushed to go somewhere else for good or bad reasons. But those are some of my key thoughts I leave people with, you know, used to rejection, thousand days. Hmm. Again, make yourself a more of a risk taker. Yeah. All right, all You've got your marching orders today. Uh, man, we covered cool technology. Mm -hmm. Mike's incredibly inspiring and I'll say empowering story for all leaders and not just, I mean, everyone out there and go and put this stuff to use in your career and your work day. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Ben. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. 
Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.